the little story about these things. <laughs> this is to put myself in the position of humility before you this morning. Uh, we have these radio microphones, and when I was the pastor of a, a church in Cork, uh, came a time when I wanted to launch a different type of service on Sunday mornings. I wanted to sort of move into a sort of cafe church uh, season. And um, it was going to be a bit more informal and uh, have a grey beginning, what we call a grey beginning. That's a technical term. It just means that you start while people are still sitting down and coming in and having their coffee. In fact, people can bring their coffee to their seats. And um, I didn't normally do this, but I just quickly dipped into the bathroom before the service started. And my lovely organist, uh, Viv, was tinkering on the ivories, just lovely, gentle music. And suddenly, the congregation were treated to a very um, sort of pastoral sound of, of water. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they thought this was all part of the effect. <laughs> the relaxation, drawing them into this new experience. And then, of course, I flushed the loo. <laughs> and the whole place erupted. Now, if you think that's bad, it gets a lot worse. Because visiting on that Sunday were a very, um, uh, uh, how shall I say, um, well, quite a, quite a significant couple from the church where I served my curacy in Reading, a large town centre church. Now, they weren't visiting with me. I was always a little bit nervous about them. Um, but they were visiting with some, I mean, just an incredible coincidence that there they would be in this little church in Cork, but there they were. The only time that embarrassing thing has ever happened to me before was in Reading. <laughs> what that couple thought of me, I have absolutely no idea. So I will try not to uh, embarrass myself like that this morning. I hope not. <laughs> well, it is an absolute joy for me to be here this morning. Um, I want to thank Aubrey very much for the invitation and for, to all of you for hosting me and um, allowing me to be with you this morning. I want to say a big thank you to Janelle as well. Is Janelle, is she, is she here? Is she... Oh, well, which they have just hosted me brilliantly, and all the children, these guys, Sloane and Silas and the other ones. So I'm really appreciative. Thank you very much, Aubrey. And uh, just to say very briefly that I'm married to Tanya. We've been married uh, 22 years now, and we have three daughters, uh, Rachel, who's 18, Charlotte, who's 16, and Fiona, who is 14. It's Fiona who goes to school with edges. <laughs> with Edge's daughter. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're lovely people. So um, uh, if you're a U2 fan, you can rest assured they're good people. Um, one of the fun things uh, when we get together from across the Atlantic, when we meet with each other from either side of the Atlantic, is, is sharing uh, our experiences of each other's culture and, and comparing notes about language and how language functions slightly different in each context. And I want to say to you this morning that this uh, passage 
um, that we've heard read from 1 Corinthians. Bad news is that's the passage I'm speaking on this morning. There is lots of difficult language in it. I uh, understand that you have just recently been or are in the midst of a series on suffering and you have in the recent past done a series on 1 Corinthians. Well, it turned out that the church in D.C. is also doing a series on 1 Corinthians. So Aubrey invited me to speak on this passage because I don't think you directly addressed it during your series. And I totally understand why you didn't. <laughs> there's lots. Um, scholars, there's a consensus among scholars that this, this passage is probably the most difficult in 1 Corinthians. So th- thank, well, you. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you very much. So in order to to orientate you to what the theme is this morning, and in case it's not clear by the time I sit down and you say, what was that all about? I'm going to do do a teacher thing here and I'm going to tell you what I think the big idea is here. I think the big idea is um, Paul teaching the church what it looks like to be a human being in the image of Christ. That's what I think the big picture is. That's what's going on in these early chapters of 1 Corinthians, from about 1 Corinthians 1.10 through to the end of this passage that we're looking at this morning. And um, I'm gonna, I know this is breaking one of the cardinal sins of, of good preaching. I've got Not three points, but four points. Okay. And the four points are these. That a a mature church is a church that is clearly founded on an experience and a knowledge of grace. That's the first thing. The second thing is that a mature church finds wisdom in the suffering vocation of the cross. The third heading is that a mature church exercises godly leadership uh, as love in action. And then fourthly, a mature church, the community life of a mature church, finds itself as part of the one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. Okay, so those are the headings. And I've even tried to distill that down into one sentence. Okay, so here it is. Wisdom learned in the experience and knowledge of grace, expressed as empowering love in and through the one holy and apostolic church. All right, so that's, there's the takeaway. There's the takeaway theme and the message, what it looks like to be a mature church. So, the first heading, the exper- what I'm calling the experience of grace. And I'm going to move to here just so that I have the Bible here in front of me. And if you have a Bible, please do turn to that um, passage in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Now, because this is of a piece with the uh, previous three chapters, um, I'm not going to go into great detail in in, um, calling out relevant verses here. But if you look at verse 7, Paul um, says to the Corinthian church, uh, and maybe especially to the leadership in that church, for who sees anything different in you? In other words, what makes you different to anyone else? Who sees any difference in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And the allusion is quite clearly here to the grace that they received when the gospel was proclaimed to them. And I think there's probably a, there is a clear echo of um, uh, chapter 1, verses 26. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. When I was... um, coming up to my ordination service. My father, who was also uh, a pastor, uh, Aubrey and I share that in common, we were were both privileged to have grown up in a home uh, where the Lord was loved and honoured. And my dad was a very gracious man. He was a very lovely man. Uh, He died uh, several years ago now. But he wrote to me on the eve of my ordination. And he wrote something like this. He He said, William... Christian leadership, ordained ministry, is founded on the experience of grace. And I believe, William, that you know the grace of God in your life. Hold this as very precious as you embark on this new season, on this new chapter in your life. And as I've reflected on that over the years, I've realised that is absolutely true. That as we, as we do life, as we do church out of our own knowledge and experience of grace, it puts us in that place of gratitude, but it puts us in that place of humility as well. It reminds us that what we have, we received. It was a gift. And I think mature followers of Christ and mature churches never forget that. And it means, and I think it induces in us, a thankfulness and a gratitude that is actually very winsome. Aubrey and I have been sort of sharing notes over these last couple of days. And I think one of the things that we we share in common is a priority on on being gracious, being generous in ministry. Yes, we believe things. Yes, we have our values and and things that are important to us. But we want to be able to build bridges. We want to be able to extend grace wherever we can. And I think there's a sign of great maturity in that. And I commend it for, for, for you as a church too. The second heading I want to briefly mention is this this whole area of discerning wisdom, finding wisdom. 
And as Paul is talking to the Corinthian church here, what he does is he catalogues his experience as an apostle. Part of the problem, as I know you realise here with this Corinthian church, is that they'd run away with themselves a little bit. They thought they'd arrived. They thought they had it all. And they'd got a bit bolshy and big for their boots and, and, and arrogant. And they, they sort of felt that there was nothing more for them to learn. <laughs> and Paul is having to bring them back to the call of discipleship, if you like, the cost of discipleship. And I'm just going to read through what's sometimes called the catalogue of Paul's sufferings in verses 9 to 13. What I want you to do is just be sensitive to those words or phrases or ideas that are reminiscent of Jesus, either his teaching or his experience of suffering. So here they are again. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. I think there's a clear allusion there to the crucifixion and the cosmic significance of that suffering to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. It's it's quite heavily ironic, this. (laughs) Foolishness of the cross. We are weak but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. There was nothing about his appearance that was attractive. Verse 11. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. Birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and we labor working with our own hands when reviled we bless when persecuted we endure when slandered we entreat we've become and are still like the scum of the world the refuse of all things I think a mature church and a mature follower of Christ finds finds the grace to embrace suffering. Now, I know that you have thought a lot about this over previous weeks, and I'm not going to dwell on it, but I'm just going to give you a picture of something that, uh, um, in a a, a funny way, helped me uh, in a very, very tough time in my life over the last few years. I don't know whether any of you have ever seen um, the film, The The Passion of the Christ. Younger members, I'm I'm sure, won't have done. I hope you haven't. Uh, It's a fairly gruesome uh, depiction of those uh, last hours of Jesus' life. Um, But there there were two moments that I found really touching in them. I I did not want to see the film. I didn't enjoy (laughs) it. But there were two moments that really moved me quite profoundly. The first moment was when... uh, 
Jesus has been through the, the horror of um, the scourging. And his cross is pressed on him. And I don't know whether those of you who saw the film will remember this moment. But he, he, as it were, embraced it. And there was almost, I don't know whether he did do this, uh, the actor in the film, um, but it was almost like he stroked it and um, held it like something very precious. I've, I have found that very, very moving. And it has helped me, actually, just as a sort of icon, almost. And the other moment in the film, just to balance that out, that, that actually I found very uplifting, uh, was the moment, and I know, again, it's poetic license, but as Jesus is walking with his cross and he stumbled again under the weight of it, and um, I think it's supposed to be Veronica wiping Jesus' face, and Jesus, in that sort of that encounter with her, um, looks up through, his, through the blood and says to her, Behold, I make all things new. Now, I think why I found that so uplifting was at the, at the, at the most dreadful, terrible, agonising moment, Jesus, Jesus announces the victory. And this wisdom is not given to us by the world. This is a wisdom that comes by revelation. And of course, the, the wisdom tradition in the Old Testament encourages us to search for it as hidden treasure, to do everything we can, a bit like the pearl of great worth, do everything we can to find it. A mature church learns to embrace suffering and, and, and learns wisdom in the process, counts the cost. That is, if you like, that is the via dolorosa of Christian experience. The third thing I want to mention briefly is the nature of leadership, the nature of power exercised in the church. Have a look at verse 14 with me. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, Paul writes, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I was driving two of my girls to school uh, the week before I came over to visit with you. And it was one of those mornings, it was raining, it often is in Ireland, raining, but it was raining. And um, there the was just a little bit of a stressy atmosphere. I don't know whether this ever happens in your family in the morning when you're getting out to work, but it, it was just a little bit stressful. And uh, there, there was stress between these two of my daughters, and they were a bit narky with each other. But they were also a bit narky with me, which wasn't the bit that I was expecting or, or, or in any way wanting to engage with. So we're in the car, and they're quite articulate now. And, um, but here's the thing. The news was on, and there was a very interesting interview 
being conducted with a top economist. I don't know whether you know this, but Europe is literally sinking. We are in crisis with the economy and the money. Money's run out. It's not just run out. We are in big, big trouble. And I, I wanted to, I really wanted to listen to this radio broadcast because in case I'm called on to help solve the problem. <laughs> Do they not realise, these girls, that... <laughs> This is very, very important. And their squabbles just are not important enough to engage with. Well, thank God, even though that was my train of thought, <laughs> um, I, just, it was, I, I just discerned a still small voice. William, nothing is more important than you engaging with your daughters right now. <laughs> Because you can't change the world economy. <laughs> but you might just be able to help these guys out before they get to school. And, um, okay, so I'd, I'd got the message. And we're in the traffic. And then as a father, as a parent, of course, I had to decide what, how was I going to exercise power? How was I going to be a parent to them? They both had conflicting issues, so it was very complicated. They were stressy with each other. They were both stressy with me. They both disagreed with the terms on which they were stressy with me. I mean, it was very, very complicated. We needed the United Nations in that car, really. And my first instinct was to reach for my, for my wisdom and to give them a lecture. I love doing that. <laughs> I've, I've vaguely tried. It didn't work. <laughs> In fact, it made things even worse. <laughs> then I decided to get cross. Godly, righteous anger. Do you think that worked? No, no it didn't work. And in the end, I decided, I, you know, drawing the inspiration from that lovely verse, a gentle word breaks a bone... I just reached my hand into the back of the car. I did make a decision to deal with uh, one of my daughters first. Uh, the other one's slightly more rational. <laughs> <laughs> Put my hand into the back of the car, didn't say a word, and just held her hand. Sure enough, it changed everything. Just, just changed everything. Now, I think that Paul's actually having to do a little bit of being cross here as well. Um, but the spirit in which he is leading, the spirit in which he is teaching and, give, and, and leading by example, is that spirit of putting a, a, a fatherly hand out and wanting just to, just to hold this little church's hand. Firmly. <laughs> but that's what he's wanting to do. And, you know, we don't have time to, to look into this in, in any greater detail this morning. But again, just leave you with that picture of what, what the exercise of leadership looks like um, in a mature church, a church that understands what it is to, to live together and to work things out together. And the final thing, final heading, is um, to do with... Uh, the maturity of community life. 
And I want you just to have a, a, a quick look at here at verse uh, 17b. Well, I'll read the whole of verse 17, but it's, seven, it's the second part of the verse that's particularly important. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, I was interested to be reminded that that verse, uh, probably amongst other verses, but especially this verse, has inspired what later came to be known and and put in our creedal uh, formulas as the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And I think, I, 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 I think a mature church tries to locate itself within that framework. So just very briefly, one, that we understand ourselves as belonging to the family of God, the one family of God. Now, we, we have different expressions, and um, we're in different places, and we have sometimes different character and, and slightly different values and all that sort of thing. But we do belong to one church. We're not an isolated congregation. We belong to something bigger. We're holy. And I think the holiness that comes out of this teaching of Paul's is a holiness that comes from standing at the foot of the cross and taking our, taking our cue from that. And... Uh, The Catholicity of the church just means the universal church, the church in all the world. And Paul says, what I'm saying to you is I I, I teach the churches everywhere. You know, this is a teaching that isn't just for you, this is for everyone. So we're Catholic, we're universal. And finally, we're apostolic because we believe that this teaching that Paul articulates along with the other apostles is foundational for what it means to be the church. Paul says to the Corinthians earlier on in chapter 3 that I laid a foundation and that foundation is the only foundation that ever could be laid and that's Jesus Christ. And it's the, it's the eyewitness, it's the apostolic testimony to that, to that foundation that is the apostolic church that we find ourselves in. So I'll just remind you of my uh, four headings. So a mature church is built on the experience of knowledge of grace. A mature church finds its wisdom, its way of being, from an identification with the sufferings of Christ and his death. And a mature church exercises power in love so as to build the kingdom of God. And finally, a mature church finds itself within the one holy and apostolic church. May we pray.